You know what time it is? It's time for another episode of the Jungle Gyms Podcast. I'm your host, Mark. Welcome to the show. If you're listening to the audio-only version of the show, I appreciate your support. But of course, if you want to get a little more personally involved, join us over on YouTube. I'm going to keep saying this until I see the subscriber count there get to where I want it to be. And it's going great. I know a lot of you have joined me over there. And if you don't know this, what I've been trying to do lately is in addition to the podcast itself, right? I'm trying to keep more of the podcast to the... I know a lot of you prefer listening to the audio-only version as you've told me. Uh, but I do like releasing on both platforms as I think it should be everywhere and easily consumed. Um, but I have been trying to make also some shorter form content just for YouTube. So even if you don't want to listen to the podcast on YouTube, it would make me just so happy if you join me on YouTube and check some of that stuff out. Um, right now we have the number one review of Pepsi's new soda Starry. So if you're curious in the world of soda, you can check that out. It did really well. We recently did a piece on international sauces, dipping sauces and things of that nature. That was a ton of fun. Uh, and that's the kind of content I want to drive there. And then of course I'll be doing the podcast so we can do our deep dives. Not much different than lately. And you know what? Since I'm telling you all to watch this on YouTube, you might notice I'm not in my usual garb today. And that's because I'm about to hit the road this week. Like literally in the next few hours after taping this, I'm headed down to Orlando, Florida to check out the PodFest Expo, a huge convention on podcasting that goes on here in the uh, United States. And I'm really excited because I think that should be able to give me some great tips, tools, other T words to help grow the show and make a better show for all of you and really for me. Ultimately, this is about me continuing to receive a paycheck. So help me out. Hit those subscribe buttons. And if you haven't yet, I could really use some more reviews on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten a couple in recently. Shout out to Phil. Cincy Phil at that. And also, I want to give another quick shout out to Megan, who I met at the OTR Stillhouse the other night that recognized me from the show. Very cool. And I was in normal street clothes like this, so it was even better. You know, I mean, I do tend to dress kind of loud anyway, but that made my day. Thank you both so much for that. And I would love to shout all of you out. Uh, another thing before I dive into the show notes for today, uh, please give us a call at 513-674-6855. I'm compiling all of our anonymous um, phone, uh, what are they called? Voicemails uh, that I've been getting from audience members and guests and all kinds of fun stuff like that uh, because I want to do that as a regular segment on the show. So I'm just compiling them. Thank you to those of you who've already called in and left some insane voicemails for me to sift through. Uh, I appreciate it. Just let the demons out. I'm ready for it. So this is kind of a trend this month. You know, last week we talked with... Um, Greg Brewer and Larry O'Brien, where they opened my mind to the world of wine. And another beverage that I've always had a little bit of anxiety about, and I mentioned with Greg in passing, is coffee. So when I had the opportunity to team up with Boston Stoker, one of the many coffee brands that we carry here at Jungle Gyms, I was on board. Especially when they were like, hey, we want to roast coffee beans in your office, and we're going to do the whole process. We're going to walk you through this all, and we're going to explain the world of coffee to you through this. 
I jumped at the opportunity because, look, I want to learn about it. I'd like to feel less uncomfortable in front of the 15-year-old baristas that are like, an Americano is espresso with water, you old idiot. Um, so hopefully I can save off or stave off some of the anxiety for you two out there. So uh, like I said, today I'm joined by Boston Stoker Coffee to talk through that. And we've got a lot of fun stuff. We're going to go through the whole process from picking the bean to you name it. I don't want to bury the lead too much, uh, but we you definitely get to see us like pour over coffee, roasting them inside the WJJI studio. It was amazing. It smells even better than I think we say it does in the interview. So on that, enjoy the segment. I'll see you on the other side. I am here today with Anna from Boston Stoker. I'm sitting here with a fresh, let me get the label out and I'm gonna, I know what I'm doing, a fresh cup of coffee that we just roasted and brewed here in-house. It's delicious. Thank you, Mark. So since I am somewhat new to the world of coffee, mm-hmm. let's start, before we go through all the processes and the history of Boston Stoker and everything, mm-hmm. what kind of things should I be looking for? This is your house blend that we're tasting, This right? is our house blend. We call it Classic 83. Okay. It's uh, really reminiscent of, of uh, the what we were trying to do in the 80s, what we were really going for. Yeah. Um, a nice citrus uh, coffee with some chocolate notes. Uh, this falls in the category of our balanced coffees. Okay. And what kind of a roast would this be considered? Is this like a light roast, a medium roast, dark roast? Where this are we is on that? A, this is a full city roast. Okay, cool. What does that mean? I've never heard that expression. Yeah, I hope it's a full city roast. Um, <laughs> something you know, that, uh, somewhere in that area, it's um, it's it's a light roast. Okay, um, maybe slightly beyond real light. Mm-hmm. Um, but somewhere in there, something you said to me before we started, mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting because, again, like I said, I, I'm always the idiot hoping to learn through these processes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've always been a dark roast person. But what's, uh, what I thought was fascinating is right before we tried this, you were noting that you would maybe get a little more delicate access to other flavors and things of that nature. And so in tasting this, as somebody who doesn't usually drink a light roast, mm-hmm. I now totally know what you mean in that. I feel like I could distinguish this one out of a line. You know, if I had to pick it out of a lineup, like I think I could actually. If you were to cup it. Yeah. So, yeah, cupping, uh, cupping is is the method for testing coffee, tasting coffee, comparing coffee, looking for flaws. It's oh. the way it's done the world over. So um, what's that process look like as far as when you say cupping? It looks like um, grinding the same amount of coffee okay. um, into little cups, mm-hmm. um, filling with water, just Pouring, pouring the water right on top of the coffee and letting it sit for a very specific amount of time. Okay. And then the cuppers will do what's called, um, well, before that, they're smelling the grounds and trying to pick up on um, notes and attributes sure. and flaws. Um, they'll break the crust. So that coffee forms a, a, a kind of a crust with the grounds floating to the top. Okay. And they'll take a spoon, a silver spoon, and specifically pull that crust away, smell it, give it some more time, take the crust away, um, and then sip. sip. And not just sip, it's a slurp. It's Interesting. A, it's throwing the coffee back to the entirety of your mouth so okay. that every every part of your mouth, your tongue, and you're getting the aroma through your nose. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. So, and so the and the crust. I mean, and for those of you, I'm assuming that's very similar to like if I when I f- first start the French press, right? Like you get the like effectively exactly, the caked it's layer. Exactly what it looks like. Okay, a cool. nice fresh coffee. It's going to bubble up and off gas and. Oh, cool! And off gas. That was this, uh, another term. I know we talked about this off air, but what what does off gassing mean in this? Just regard? where the coffee is uh, fresh coffee will will off gas. It's releasing carbon dioxide. Oh, okay, and effectively giving some of the smell to the room. I'm assuming right. Too. All yeah. the compound. There's over 800 compounds in That's coffee. That's amazing. And yeah, it's, it's That's so crazy. That we know of. 
and in this, I mean, I'm really, you know, I'm definitely picking up the chocolate notes. And once you mentioned the citrus too, now that I'm looking for that sort of citrusy, mm-hmm. it's almost like a little, a tang, if you, you will. Should, you should, you should taste that kind of at the, at the beginning. Yeah. It's like. Of, of the cup. That makes sense. That. Yeah. I can see it. It's like on the tip, almost mm-hmm. like on the tip of my tongue. It's now a, I, it's, it's a brighter, a brighter coffee. Yeah. I like that too. And it, oh, did I just turn into a light roast fan? Did you just do that to me today? Thank you. I'm, <laughs> you're welcome. I mean, No, yeah, I mean, yeah. really, in you know, look, I know I said this a bunch off air too, but I always love these opportunities because to me, it's just, I'm fascinated by it. I'm a relative recent adopter of drinking coffee regularly. Mm-hmm. So it's, and and I want to be one of those people. And in turn, I'd love to help the audience become one of those people too that come out and go, hey, now I know about coffee. You can really learn. You know, I assume for a lot of people, maybe they drank the same thing forever. Maybe they're interested in trying a change, right? And seeing what they, you know, because right before this, I was like, oh, I think I'm a dark roast person, mm-hmm. but I still don't know yeah. if, if I am, right? Yeah. And so you tried. So thank you for that. I, I appreciate you providing that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about Boston. Boston Stoker, how did the, how did they start? Like, how did you get into Jungle Gyms? All that kind of fun stuff. Okay, so Boston Stoker started in 1973 mm-hmm. in um, Dayton, Ohio. Don and Sally Dean started that business, and it was, it was actually a cigar. Um, pipe and loose tobacco wow. store. <laughs> that's, that's actually kind of funny. So uh, Don and Sally started to brew coffee to, to keep their customers good coffee, fine coffee to go with the fine cigars sure. and tobacco in the store. Um, he got a roaster, got a little probat roaster, and started uh, parked it at the begin the front of the store, and and you know just kind of, you know people wanted to start buying the beans then. Right. Um, that was you know, toward the end of the seventies, um, and uh, it's kind of when Starbucks kind of really was getting very popular, right. um, and people were becoming aware of. Um, kind of what's called second wave coffee. Okay. Um, there's five waves of coffee, We, you know, but... Uh, well, I, do you know what those waves are? I'm, I'm kind of, sort of. The okay. first wave was, you know, just kind of the origins of coffee, the beginning of coffee, and okay. then canning coffee, Folgers coffee, sure. instant coffee. Uh, second wave was kind of um, hanging out in coffee shops, okay. specialty drinks, espresso yeah. machines, and where that business kind of took off. Third wave coffee is where we're actually starting to pay a little more attention to sourcing coffee, um, you know, uh, the farmers, where it comes from, a um, little bit of the science of coffee. It's kind of where some of the pretentiousness of coffee started to come about. Sure. And uh, hopefully that's going away with fourth. Right. The, the pretend, no, yeah. <laughs> we're now we're talking about the, uh, the uh, terror and um, uh, sustainable farming methods supporting, supporting the farmers and people that are, you know, where we get our coffee from. I Transparency. Yeah. And I think how that's it's a, grown. I think that's been a really interesting shift in just all food drink world. I think everybody's really, really interested in that now yeah. as well. We should. And I got to give a shout out to the Jungle Gyms podcast audience who you heard terroir. Uh, you've, you've learned that word already when we talked about Italian wines. And if you haven't, maybe it's the time to go back and listen to that episode. But the short answer is effectively just growing conditions, mm-hmm. right? It's like yes, the soil altitude, type, altitude. Soil, yeah. Yeah, temperature. The amount of rain, temperature, the right. environment. Right, it's crazy. Yeah, which is, oh, go ahead. And even a slight difference in uh, in an area, one area can make a world of difference in, wow. in the final cup. It makes sense too. I mean, because this we're growing products, so it's like mm-hmm. wherever it comes, all of those things are going to factor into it. Well, I guess that leads me into this. Where are the, where are the places that Boston Soaker grows theirs? 
Um, well, we get our coffee. Well, I'll, I'll go back to a little bit of the history oh, and please. how yes, we started yes. with uh, direct trade because we've been doing direct trade for a long time. Awesome. And um, how that came about, it's a fun story. Um, someone named Bill, Bill McAlpin, he's, he's a Texas native, um, but he grew up in Costa Rica. His dad was a, was a farmer. And um, his dad got rid of the farm in the 70s because of kind of the political atmosphere. And Bill went back and, and bought parts of that farm and started, started growing coffee again and then uh, shipped it to the U.S. Oh, and wow. was driving around with a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> and Don Dean uh, and Sally Dean bought coffee from Bill. So that was the beginning of us having a very close, direct trade relationship with a fantastic farm. Um, that, that's a coffee that's hand-sorted. It's amazing. Now, so you mentioned direct trade. Is that, I know, I always hear the expression fair trade as well. Are those mm -hmm. related at all or? Well, or you want things to be fair. They're, okay. they're kind of, you know, I think fair trade and, you know, I'm not, I don't know the specifics. Sure. I, I wouldn't, and that's okay. I, I wouldn't want to um, say that fair trade's not a good thing because obviously it is. Right. Direct trade, I can give you, I can give you an example yeah, of, please. Of, of, of benefit of direct trade. When we, um, get to know farmers very personally. We bring them over here, we go there. Um, we can help them put in better infrastructure so that they can grow better coffee. Better coffee scores better. Coffee's graded just like wine is. Uh, okay. Specialty coffee is anything over 80. We don't bring in anything that doesn't score 85 oh, okay. or higher. And you know, then that determines the price and that farmer benefits from the actual price of growing a better coffee. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, from there, Lamanita, so our, our relationship with Lamanita went on. They've gone and, and set up uh, processing centers in Colombia where mm -hmm. we get this coffee now. This is a coffee that um, is in the kind of close to Hardeen in Antioquia, a little village uh, town called Antioquia. Very clean. People go out and sweep the streets every day and take great Beautiful. pride. Lamanita helped set that that area up, and so it's kind of a co-op. Uh, the local farmers bring their coffee in, and um, amazing. And so they're, I mean, they're out there like hand picking these effectively, right? Is that crazy uh, to say? Absolutely. Yeah, it's no. amazing. Well, and it, it depends on the region. Coffees from Brazil are strip picked. Okay. Um, it's a flatter area. It's not as high in altitude. Mm -hmm. um, places that are mountainous. I mean, great tasting coffees grow at high altitudes. Sure. So you really can't strip pick that anyways. You've got, you've got people with baskets strapped to their waist walking up and down the side of a mountain. And they, a good coffee picker will pick about 100 to 200 pounds of coffee a day. That's, I can't even imagine what that looks I like. I know. And, and they only pick the ripest uh, coffee cherries. Coffee's a fruit. It's called a cherry. Mm -hmm. Um and they will go back over that tree maybe once every 10 days and, and continue to take the ripest cherries. So in, in saying Very that, labor intensive. I can imagine. Well, and, and now that I'm hearing the cherry part too, is I mean, you said it's a fruit. So like the actual beans that we're getting, is that like inside the yeah. fruit? Or, okay, yeah, it's cool. technically a stone fruit. I had no idea. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. See, this so, is the kind of stuff you can um, learn on the show, what, folks. What these, and then the, the pickers will go and they will take their haul to the side of the road. Trucks drive by up and down these mountainous roads. They mm -hmm. weigh it right there on the side of the road um, and pay them on the spot wow. for the amount of coffee. And only if it's good coffee. This yeah. is this is most good uh, good coffees. That's amazing. That's so cool. And and so when they when we first start, maybe is this a good segue into the roasting process, perhaps? 
Yeah. Maybe. Sure, okay. Well, because sure. I'm assuming when they pick it. I mean, there's so much more that happens between then and. Oh, well, yeah, no, and, don't and, let me and, stop. And, yeah. What I wanted to say, you talked about, um, people talk about how expensive special, specialty grade coffee is. Yeah. If you know what it goes through to get here, yeah. it, it blows my mind that we get it as cheap as we do. One coffee tree, one pound of coffee a year, maybe another growing season. And the labor intensiveness that that, that, that goes through. So yeah. you know, once that's once your uh, the far or the the picker is paid, um, that coffee goes to a wet mill, and it's um, it's either washed completely, the pulp of the cherry is washed away, um, or not, depending on the the drying process. Um, but if it, it gets put into fermentation tanks. Um, kind of, uh, it'll, it'll go down little, um, conveyor belts and streams. And, and so from that process, they kind of are getting rid of any, um, not so great cherries that made its way in and sorted by size fermented, depending on the spot, you've got someone that decides that evening. I've seen this, I've been to La Manita, and this is one, one part of the process that amazed me, you know, they're bringing it out in the middle of the night and you've got You've got guys that are maybe 16 years old, these young guys, and you can yeah. tell they just take such great pride in being out here at night and going through this milling process. And someone decides based on the temperature that day, um, the humidity level, everything, how long that coffee's gonna sit wow. in the fermentation That's amazing. tank. I don't think I even realized that there was a fermentation process. Yeah. That's amazing. See, I'm again, I'm, <laughs> this is exactly why I love these moments on the show because yeah. I'm just like, Oh, cool. Not only is everyone else going to learn, I will sit here and go, Oh, you know, I'm just shocked the entire yeah. time. Well, that's why I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about it too. Yeah. Because like I said, um, the fact that you get one pound of coffee from one tree, uh, a year, yeah, maybe a little more. It just, and, and what it goes through, it's amazing. But, and now I'm almost surprised at how now hearing this and thinking about how much specialized labor and all these extra processes it goes through. Now there's, there's that part of me that's like, is it being priced high enough even? Right. You know, I mean, as silly as that might sound, but knowing, you know, it's one of my biggest takeaways I've had in the year I've been doing the show so far is that for all these specialty items, mm -hmm. there's so much work that goes into it. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we have the little slogan on the show of breaking the food chain. And I think this is so interesting because to me, knowing that stuff really puts it all in perspective when you think that like, yeah, there's literally some person out there walking up the side of a mountain to grab little fruits. And then of those fruits, how many of them make it through, you know, and all of these little steps along the way to getting what we, you know, for many of us, we kind of take for granted, right? Yeah. We're just like, Oh, it's, it's hot coffee. It's whatever. Just yeah. drink it. You know what? Once it gets dried or what the, the drying process uh, looks like you've got to haul the coffee, remove the, um, that silver skin, that chaff from mm -hmm. the coffee, um, and decrease the, the moisture content without it turning bad right there are a couple of ways that that can be dried in a drum you know kind of a drum dryer mm -hmm. or a lot of times it will just be laid out on a dry patio okay and then someone walks up and down the patio with a rake and constantly turns that coffee oh interesting is that i, I you know I, I remember thinking of this coffee shop when i grew up uh, and i remember them having a, a drum would be the way i would visually describe it and i could be wrong on this but it was almost like it you know you could see all the beans in there and then there was um almost like a little 
like a turbine that just constantly rotated them. And I could, I, and now I'm thinking, I'm like, mm -hmm. was that the roaster or was that maybe drying beans as what I, I would assume the, the latter maybe does that sound am i crazy for asking I, the one i saw at Lamanita was looked like a giant dryer it was okay. just a big rotating drum and, a, and oh okay and, and an air dryer and it just kept it moving and that's drying. so cool yeah uh, just keep it fresh nice i love uh, it some of, but you know like i said a lot of places too just patio dry it um there's a couple different ways to dry coffee to 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 bring about more sweetness and it's that's been very popular uh since maybe the 90s and and still yet i don't know if you've ever heard the term natural coffees natural processed coffees but it's it's basically where that fruit is left on the bean as it dries oh interesting. so a honey washed would be one where there's just a little bit of uh fruit left on the bean as it dries or or you know it can mean that that coffee is left on the tree as it dries so no just, kidding yeah and so that that pro that will allow it to end up a sweeter roast long term sweeter a little more acidic or brightness huh. depending on um on the coffee in the area it's huh, interesting um, yeah they can be really incredibly sweet um very popular coffee uh ethiopian arty mm -hmm. um you'll find that in a lot a lot of roasters uh roast that coffee and, and the, what we're doing um results in a very nutty but strawberry chocolate you open oh. that bag of beans and it smells like a chocolate covered strawberry wow i b was not expecting that to be the description that's amazing yeah <laughs> oh so i'll bring some sometime i would love that okay. yeah next time we get a demo i'll come sneak yeah. back there for you so then what would be the next step post drying where do we go after that uh let's see in the case of Lamanita, once mm -hmm. it's dried it's hand sorted wow. so there's um just all these and they use women women have this job i guess because they tend to have more um better fine motor control and hand-eye coordination i don't know more patience i don't know but, <laughs> but they literally lay the coffee beans out on a mm -hmm. table and hand sort through and and pick out any flawed beans that may have made their way no kidding into into that batch of coffee because only i i think it's about 20% of the coffee that's produced at La Manita go is is their specialty grade La Manita wow. coffee what we buy you <laughs> know and from there they, they still continue to to take coffee from those plants and um, you know they'll just be a lower grade coffee um, what's sad is uh, what ends up happening is that that last level of quality of coffee is usually what what they drink what what Oh, that's farmers. A and, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's well, starting well, to change. That's good. That is really starting to change. I think fourth wave is bringing about more coffee shops and, and, uh, farmers and, and, uh, you know, coffee growers actually getting into that to, to making coffee and, uh, yeah, getting to enjoy enjoying the a specialty. Yeah, exactly. It's like the fruits of your labor. You yes. should definitely advance on yeah. that. Yeah. Amazing. It's kind of like people that I, I watched a video once of uh, chocolate. Some guys that had been uh, harvesting chocolate cocoa beans for forever, and someone brought them a chocolate bar from the U.S. and they all sat down. It was the first time in years and years that they actually ate the chocolate candy. Oh, I love when you get to see those moments too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, and that's, you know, to me, that's one of those part of the transparency now, right? I, I loved the idea now that maybe we just didn't even know, but right. But like, I'm loving that 
everybody's getting access to the good stuff. Yeah. And so there's always a human uh, interest angle on the show for me. I'm just like, oh, cool. We're taking care of people too. I love this, you know, because yeah. they should get a chance to enjoy it. And I imagine, you know, it's funny when you were talking about this process, I kept thinking how similar it sounds to the chocolate making process as far as like processing the beans and mm -hmm. all of those things. Very interesting. And the need for transparency and, and, and knowing where it comes from Absolutely. and how it was grown and who it's growing, who, you know. Right, where it's coming who from. Who it's benefiting. Yeah, amazing. I one of our, one of our direct trade farmers uh, was here uh, maybe about half a year ago, Wilmer Peraza. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a coffee that, that is at Jungle Gems. It's on the shelf because I really wanted to uh, promote that coffee and sell his coffee. Um, he's using a varietal uh, that's a little different than maybe some other, but it is a, it's a Honduran um, hybrid coffee that resists um, rust, uh, oh. coffee rust. It's, um, you know... And I guess Hon in, in Honduras, they limit the varietals that, that the farmers can grow because of that. They don't want to devastate a, um, you know. Yeah. When you say coffee rust, what does that even mean? It's, it, you know, I don't know what coffee rust is. It's probably a, a virus or some kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah, something that attacks a, those plants and can be really devastating. Ugh, awful. No thanks. And, uh, but, um, so Wilmer came over here. Um, a while back ago, and he talked about, he said a couple of things that I thought was uh, pretty interesting. He actually, uh, our director told me that he was wanting to smuggle different varieties into, <laughs> <laughs> and he, but he, he said to us, I kind of want to uh, look into this a little bit more. I thought it was interesting, but he said that uh, sometimes Guatemalan coffees, finer Guatemalan coffees are actually really good Honduran coffees that were taken by the bandits. Really? Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy to me that yeah, in 2022. Maybe next time we talk, I'll have uh, uncovered a little more of that I'm, story to find out because I, I still really want to know what he meant by that. That's incredible. I, and well, it's funny when you hear these kinds of things that like we're it's 2022 and we're still effectively dealing with literal pirates. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's just in a slightly different setting. I it's, don't know if bandit is another word for cartel. Oh, that I could be. Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the radar now. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Drink it while the getting's good. Anna. <laughs> but Wilma was Wilmer was uh, over here with his wife and, and young child, and um, we had a throwdown at one of our coffee shops trying to raise money for computers for his school because he's also a junior high math teacher. Incredible! And they need computers. Yeah, oh, I love it. Well, I'm happy to support too. So every time you buy Honduran coffee from Boston Stoker, we donate a dollar for a 12 ounce bag, uh, ten dollars for any five pound bag that we sell. That's incredible. Very cool. Yeah, see, again, there's that human interest angle just sneaking on in on uh -huh. us. <laughs> Amazing. What's the uh, what's the next step in the process? Where do we go? So we've got the beans. Oh gosh, now, where right? do we? Yeah, we've got we've got the dried beans. Yeah, um, we've been patio drying them. We've been either patio drying <laughs> them, where they get bagged up in uh, burlap sacks um, after they've been, uh, you know. Dried to the point where I think at that point there's 11% moisture left is, is what I read. Oh. It's bagged and, and um, put uh, out on barges that either make it here on time or not. Sure. Um, we will choose coffees. Um, farmers or, or coffee growers will send sample coffee. Oh. So it'll be sample roasted and um, 
that'll kind of help determine the price, however it's graded. Interesting. And I, I, I was going to ask about the sample roasting in that regard, because I figured they'd want you to control that, not the other way around, but I guess they can kind of maybe quality control a little bit, at least. Yeah, I'm a little fuzzy on where it goes from there. I, sure. I need to know more about that. that no, that's okay. Of it, the, uh, you know, how that's uh, actually traded Lot. And when they usually come over, like the beans, I mean, so, you know, I would assume for a lot of people, they just assume they come out like, you know, you get a bag of whole bean coffee. It's already brownish or black, depending mm-hmm. on what you're getting. But the the true fresh bean is like a greenish yellow color, right? Very green. It's a, a, a light green, but definitely green, very dense um, and heavy. Uh, in fact, you know, when we roasted and we got yeah. to that uh, first crack point, um, it the, the bean can expand almost, in some cases, double in size by that point. That's really? how much moisture has been pulled out of that. Oh, interesting. Well, and so I guess uh, while we're talking about this, uh, you'll see some clips. If you're watching if you're watching the YouTube version of the show, that is, you can see some clips we'll put in here throughout this of the roasting process, <laughs> as well as the brewing and all that good right, stuff. Right, so. right before we set off the smoke alarm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that well, that, was the, that was the whole reason we wanted to do this. We're like, oh, no. No, I was, but, but that was a cool process to watch because I wasn't sure what to expect. I assumed it would be like a smoking intense process, but it really wasn't. I mean, it was this hypnotizing, you're watching, and I took some good time-lapse footage, so you'll see that at some point, if not right now as I'm talking. But it was really hypnotic to watch that as you're just seeing the beans undulating in here ad nauseum. And I, and you know, I know Lucky and I were talking with you before and we were like, is this a, not a lengthy process? But it was, I mean, not even 10 minutes, I think, to get from- It didn't even go 10 minutes yeah, before but, it got to the temperature where it was at first crack. Yeah, so yeah. so what's that roasting process like effectively? I mean, we're really just taking these these raw beans these and introducing heat. These very dense green uh, beans um, and introducing heat. Um and, uh, you know, as the heat's applied either uh, by an air roaster or, you know, some people actually roast their coffee um, on a hot plate or like a skillet. Oh, There's people can use popcorn poppers. Um, huh. We've got a couple different roasters uh, at Boston Stoker. We have one that um, is can roast. We roast a full bag, a bag that you get from from origin is about 150 pounds. Okay. And so this roaster can do that in about 15 minutes. It's, it's uh, It can be digitally controlled. It's it's programmed to roast that much coffee. And we'll do some of our blends, uh, you know, maybe the blend that we're flavoring when we want to do a large batch of coffee. Um, we've got a little German roaster called the Gotthot. And it, it will roast about 45 pounds um, in the same amount of time, maybe 15 minutes. But... There's a lot more control. It's more of an artisan roasting okay. technique. Um, you've got the roaster that just has to stay really focused on that um, as that as that coffee is roasting. And they've got this uh, little, I don't know, it's a scoop that, that goes in and out of the roaster. It's called a trier. Mm-hmm. And um, as they end the, the go toward the end of the roast, they just constantly pulling that out and grabbing a bean and popping it in their mouth, smelling it, looking at it, seeing where it's at, and just paying complete attention to where they're at. And with that particular roaster, they can adjust the amount of gas and raise the heat. You know, if they start to see little burn marks on the bean, then they know that they're burning the outside of the the bean so they can take down... um, And then they can manipulate the final profile of the coffee with... um, you know, how fast they bring the heat up. And it's just, there's so much 
to it. Yeah, you know? I, I'm, I'm so impressed. And, and watching you doing this, I mean, that was still fun because you were doing the same thing or you were yeah, watching. I wasn't yeah. controlling anything. But but it's still an interesting thing to watch the attention to detail. And then you told me about the first crack, which mm-hmm. is uh, the way I would describe it. It's like watching. I mean, the, it, again, I hate to keep likening it to other processes, but well, it's it like, is. It's, it's, you know, it's a result of the, the Maillard um uh, reaction, right? Reaction, yeah. yeah. The Cooking, browning, browning the, yeah. the sucrose being released and, and uh, yeah. bringing out the sweetness right. of foods, kind of like bread. That's why it tastes like, that makes or smells sense. like toast. Yeah. It's kind of like that first crack is almost like popcorn. That's what I was going to say. It, it reminded is, me of watching popcorn mm-hmm. in that regard. We're like, all right, we heard the first one. Now we're going to watch. And, and at that point you were like, hey, we have a minute and a half or less before 90 this. Seconds. 90 yeah, seconds. Yeah, right, what yeah. we determined is the best time on that particular roaster sure. to take the gas off and let that coffee start cooling. Because, you know, in, in the in the roasters, um, in our roasters at the warehouse, any roaster, big roaster like that, mm-hmm. um, they drop the coffee the minute it, it hits that temperature where they want it. They pull this lever and all this coffee comes you know, out and then it's agitated and there's actually air that's applied or or brought into the cooling process to immediately stop that cooking process. Oh, that's interesting too. Huh. Does that, do, do you think that would affect the flavor pretty dramatically versus like in this case where it was just like we just shut in it down? In a case of a few degrees. Okay. It really can. That's yes. wild to me. Yeah. Well, it's, and I guess we'll talk about this when we're actually in the brewing part too, but same kind of thing there too, it seems like. I love finding out that in that, I love finding out that I'm just doing things wrong my whole life and that there is, it's interesting to me that a little bit of specificity in a few areas, right? Mm-hmm. In this case, a temperature, things of that nature yeah. can pretty dramatically affect the quality and the, ultimately the taste of the product. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. It was cool. I've never watched it roast in front of me like that before. You know, always one of those things that casually walk in. If somebody was roasting it somewhere, I'm like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Then, I mean, d- depending on where, where you're bringing that coffee in the roast level, you know, is where you're finding acids and compounds that, that are good or bad. You know, we, we were talking about a dark roast. With a dark roast, you're starting to uh, kind of mask some of the some of the flavors um the acids Mm -hmm. will start to degrade some of those are good some of those are bad interesting Um, a lot of times dark roasted i mean dark roast coffee is not bad a lot of people love it um it can be very good sometimes it's used to mask flaws in coffee Interesting. And that makes sense. I mean, really, it's one of those things where, yeah, just crank up the temp a little bit and and, and hopefully, you know, if, but I guess there is that subjective angle to it, too, where some people just like the way that tastes. And right? there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I love I, it. No, it, it can be very complimentary. But it is coffee. fun now that I know what to taste for, mm-hmm. that I think it will change my drinking habits because I'm very interested in that. And I would assume a lot of you are, too. Uh, very interested in those nuances. And that's, I don't know. I want to be an expert in the things I enjoy. Yeah. And I'd like to at least, you know, because even if at the end of this, I'm like, no, I still prefer dark roast, whatever. But I love knowing that there are things that you can reach out for and again just in tasting this that we made today there are so many notes and flavors i'm just not used to experiencing when i get a cup of coffee and Mm -hmm. that could be things from you know the fact that we have so many major how should i say like just the chain coffee places that may not have the time or the capability it's just not the business 
model. Right, exactly. Yeah, so no shade or anything like that. Yeah, but, no. You know, but it's like if you're doing X amount of, you know, a lot of customers all the time, I'm sure some corners have to unfortunately be cut in certain regards, whereas mm -hmm. today we're sitting here, you're roasting, I forget what you told me, it was like 48 grams exactly of beans that we that we uh, ground up fresh, which that I think obviously affected the flavor, grinding it fresh. Absolutely. You know, and then yeah, we did really, the Chemex it's process. The, it's one of the best things you can do to have a good tasting coffee at home is, is get a grinder. No and kidding. Your your coffee's going to last longer. Once it's ground, it starts to to lose uh, some of the flavor. That makes sense. You know, before we get into the brewing part, I wanted to ask. You mentioned like flavor coffees. Where does the flavor get introduced? Like, is that in the roasting process? Are you talking about like a hazelnut or, or right. the, so a some, flavored coffee? Yeah, like you know, like oh, that, this is that's added to the roasted bean. Okay, so, so we so Boston Stoker, we do use a specialty grade coffee mm -hmm. um, that we flavor. Uh, but it's um, you know it's a it's an alcohol kind of an oil based okay. coating that's rolled. So that's but coffee. it is after you've it's, roasted the it's beans. After, okay, yeah. and that makes a ton of sense to me. I just wasn't sure if that was part of the roasting process, but that was cool. Mm -hmm. So then now no, but you know a lot of people get confused when they read coffee notes. So it's like wine notes. You know they they look at a bag or they look at the description of the coffee and they, you know they say well I don't want lemon in my coffee. Well, <laughs> you know and those are just notes and it's really yeah. fun to find those notes in a coffee. Yeah. Um, well, I think you described this today so well too, where you did have that like bright citrusy yeah. thing right up front and then it kind of just transitions into, and of course it tastes like coffee the whole time, but it transitions into this sort of mellow, almost like a rich dark chocolate. That was really the flavor I got at the, I yep. would say you get like 20% the citrus acid bite in the front and then it was predominantly that like rich dark note. That's exactly what we're going for. Yeah, I guess I nailed it. Yeah, I think you really did nail it. So maybe this is a good time to talk about the roasting process or not the roasting process, the excuse brewing? me, but the brewing process. So I was yeah. fascinated by the way you did this so again you're you're if you're watching along you're probably seeing some of this footage as we go um and we went through a lot of steps so again you took it was it 48 grams is that what you said i used 48 grams i love that it was all everything was really exact i found that fascinating but yeah you took that you fresh ground it mm -hmm. and then you've got the electric kettle and we were going into a it was a chemex style right right i used a chemex brewer i love it and, mm -hmm. and i mean it you you told me before you're like oh it's invented by a chem you know a chemist a chemist it looks it looks like in something in the 1940s that's incredible yeah it's funny that that's a process that's been around so long and I know. and but I feel like it's only kind of now gaining a lot of like public notoriety for lack of a better word. It's a simple way to brew. You're just pouring water yeah. over the coffee, maybe a little labor intensive for some people, sure. but it is a simple and it just brings a great, cup of coffee yeah it really i mean this was really refreshing yeah and so uh, what i thought was so fascinating is not just the specificity on like the amount of beans that we were using to grind mm -hmm. but then you also had the kettle you know most people i would assume and i'm definitely most people i uh would use you know i would just boil you know and I, I usually do a french press at home so for me it's always like all right get the grounds in the press and then i'm boiling water and then pouring the water in and now knowing that we use just under boiling temp, right? So boiling water, 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 degrees Celsius, but you took it to 205 Fahrenheit and there was a bit of method to the madness, right? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you can take it to that level. It's mm -hmm. not really necessary. Yeah. Um, when you make a French press, I mean, once you pull that water off the boil, mm -hmm. it's- It's gonna start dropping. It, it really starts dropping. So there, you know, that's not, that's not a bad way to go. And for a while, I'm not gonna lie, I've been setting my, my temperature at 202 degrees when Ooh, I do pour overs. A little more delicate. And then I, I was it. reading our website and I said, oh, they're suggesting 205. So I think I'll go to 205. Yeah. And 
one could take the time to sit and make it both ways and see if they could find the difference in it. And it probably can. I mean, you can take it to that level where with one coffee, you want to go with this temperature and this coffee, you go with another. Um, it, it's not going to make that much of a difference to the average person. But yeah. if you're, but I feel like in this situation where but I'm like, def- as we go, um, and we went through a lot of steps. So again, you took, it was it 48 grams. Is that what you said? I used 48 grams. I love that. It was all, everything was really exact. I found that fascinating. But yeah. You took that, you fresh ground it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the electric kettle and we were going into a, it was a Chemex style, right? Right. I used a Chemex brewer. Uh, I love it. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it, you, you told me before you're like, oh, it's invented by a chem, you know, a chemist. A chemist. It looks, it looks like In something. In the 1940s. Would, that's incredible. Yeah. It's funny that that's a process that's been around so long. And, I know. And, but, I feel like it's only kind of now gaining a lot of like public notoriety for lack of a better word. It's a simple way to brew. You're just pouring water over the coffee, maybe a little labor intensive for some people, but it is a simple and it just brings a great cup of coffee. Yeah, it really, I mean, this was really refreshing. Yeah. And so uh, what I thought was so fascinating is not just the specificity on like the amount of beans that we were using to grind, Mm -hmm. but then you also had the kettle, you know, most people I would assume, and I'm definitely most people I uh, would use, you know, I would just boil, you know, and I I usually do a French press at home. So for me, it's always like, all right, get the grounds in the press and then I'm boiling water and then pouring the water in. And now knowing that we use just under boiling temp, right? So boiling water, 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 degrees Celsius, but you took it to 205 Fahrenheit and there was a bit of method to the madness, right? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you can take it to that level. It's mm-hmm. not really necessary. Yeah. Um, when you make a French press, I mean, once you pull that water off the boil, mm-hmm. it's, it's- Does it start dropping. It, it really starts dropping. So there, you know, that's not, that's not- a bad way to go. And for a while, I'm not going to lie, I've been setting my my temperature at 202 degrees when Ooh, I do pour overs. A little more delicate. And then I, I was it. reading our website and I said, oh, they're suggesting 205. So I think I'll go to 205. Yeah. And one could take the time to sit and make it both ways and see if they could find the difference in it. And it probably can. I mean, you can take it to that level where with one coffee, you want to go with this temperature sure. and this coffee you go with another, um, it, it's not going to make that much of a difference to the average person. But yeah. if you're, but I feel like in this situation where but I'm like aggressively trying to yeah, taste it. But, but <laughs> taking it to 212 would definitely change Interesting. the uh, the temperature. That might be a fun thing or we the, do next time I have you out here or when you're at well, a demo. Well, we should do a cupping. That yeah, would I, be fun. I described a cupping to you. Yeah, we sounds could, great. We could do a cupping here. Yeah, it'd be very fun. That I'd be way be, into that. Yeah. And what I, I want to make, I want to describe the Chemex process because you did say it labor intensive it, it definitely is more labor laborious than just a drip coffee maker or, you know, something that you kind of just do and then you a wait. Pod. Right. Don't, don't even get me started don't on those. Started oh my either. gosh. That was one that I was like, that was my gateway into coffee. And very quickly I realized I was doing it wrong. And, you know, I won't get on my soapbox about plastics right now. But the point is like knowing this was interesting and watching you do this, I thought was fascinating because sure, I can imagine again, if you're doing large scale, co- making a lot of coffee, it might not be fun. So the way I would describe it to everybody is you've got this, it almost looks like an hourglass with a coffee does, filter on yeah. the top. You've got the grounds in it and then you're pouring you were just slowly pouring bits of water on there. I bloomed it. Bloom. Thank you. I knew there was yes, a good term. You, yes. So, I, so when, when you make a pour over either there's a, there are other ways to, there, there are several companies that make good pour over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at jungle gyms, they've got, um, they've got some nice ones out there. Yeah. Uh, 
Hario makes some great ones and um you what you want to bloom it though so what you do is you put your fresh coffee in there and mm-hmm. you pour a little bit of water on it and you're actually setting the bed up so that um it off gases and kind of saturates enough of the coffee you don't want it to go actually go th- all the way through the coffee you're just pre-wetting it so that you've got a nice even bed that you can extract the coffee from that's beautiful and releasing some of the aromas and then you would just effectively keep doing that process kind of over and over again until it started coming through the filter. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's beautiful to watch. Kind of with my nice gooseneck kettle, I'm moving the the water to where I think might be a, you know, I want to make sure I'm not leaving a pocket of coffee that's not being extracted. Yeah. I want it evenly extracted. This was one of those fun things that we joked about this before where everything in life is surface area exposure. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like I was like, oh, seventh grade science totally paid off today. Yeah. Uh, because seeing that, again, it was one of those things that paying attention to it, I'm sure that the way I've been brewing it, while not bad, could be better. I think that's really the my biggest takeaway today. Well, you said you French press. Right. French press is great coffee. Yeah. It's different, but it's great coffee. You're getting more of the oil, so you're going to taste a lot. You could take the same coffee and, and pour it over or French press it, and you've got the same coffee, but it tastes different, and they're both fantastic. You're getting notes out of each way of brewing it. So yeah. oh, it's fun trying different ways. Yeah, so maybe if we do the cupping thing, we could also do a multiple different you know delivery methods. As yeah, I mean, in, in, any good ca- in our cafes, we, we offer a French press. We can offer a pour over. Um, we will stop and take the time. It's going to cost you a little more money. But, sure. You know, and then we drip brew it, of yeah. course. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's just, it's the level. It, I, I feel like what I'm learning now, kind of like when I was learning about wine and things of that nature, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, it's the, the, you can still enjoy it at a very easy surface level, but if you want to dive deeper, there are all these extra processes that really just enrich the inspe- experience overall. You know? Oh yeah. That's the world we're living in now. We all want to be foodies. And I think, I think, you know, we talked about the transparency of the grow and the whole process. I think that the public at large is really getting to that point where we really, we want to know where our food comes from. We want to know what kind of food we're eating, all of these kinds of fun things. So, we want to make sure we're not giving money to the bandits. Exactly. Yeah, right. right. I, yeah, <laughs> I want to be the bandit for once, you know. <laughs> Anna, this has been fascinating, and I really appreciate I know this has been a long time. We've been trying to set this up forever, so thank you so much for coming down and doing I this. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I love doing demos at Jungle Gyms. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's, the customers love it, too, because, like, you know, I mean, today was fun. It was like you could smell the fresh coffee brewing in here, and yeah. people are like, oh, are they, what are they doing? And we've got, you know, while They're we're- They're so open to trying yeah. <laughs> and learning. It's, you know, it's the atmosphere where you come to because you want to learn about food right. and try different things, and I'm always amazed at how many people are willing to have a beer in one hand and a coffee in the other and try them both. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. it, Look, we're it's December while we're recording this. I thought this was a very funny day because people coming in were like, we had reindeer outside for a little demo and then they walk in and we're roasting coffee and drying coffee. It was amazing. Yeah. That's why you come to Jungle Gyms. You never know what you're going to say. That's exactly why you come to Jungle Gyms. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and again, thank you so much. And I look forward to, we'll, uh, we'll do something fun here in the future. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for opening my eyes. I'm a light roast drinker. Now, ever since this, I've been actually actively buying light roast coffee. And you know what? It's true. You really can taste a lot more nuance in the beverage. You know, those crisp citrusy kind of notes, a little acidity. It's really great. I I feel like I really kind of blew it by going dark roast. But, you know, as we learned from Greg in the previous week's episode, drink what you like. And we talk about that a little bit in this show, I know. But drink what you like. Uh, But also have your, uh, you know, be willing to try new things just in case because maybe you don't know what you like yet. That's been the case for me. So 
on that, that's it. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you all had a great time. We've got some fun stuff coming up. Uh, we just worked on a piece with our seafood department and our new manager, Vasilia. We went through cutting salmon steaks, so you'll be able to check that out. That'll be on YouTube. Um, we've got a Super Bowl episode where I teamed up with In the Curious Kitchen. Uh, MK of In the Curious Kitchen is really great. We met on Instagram, and she's actually one of the first products that I successfully brought into the store. So, hey, if you're listening to the show and you're like, man, I wish I could get into Jungle Gems. Well, I can't promise you anything, but I can promise you this. If you give me a sample and I like it, I will at the very least pass that sample along onto the relevant manager who will then make the ultimate decision. So keep that in mind. I'd love to help, I mean, truly. And if you have something great, awesome. Hey, no promises, but it's a step further than you are right now, right? Hey, what can I say? I'm a man of the people. Okay, on that, I got to go finish packing and doing laundry so I don't have to keep wearing flannel on the show. Uh, but I appreciate you all so much. Thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all your kind words. You know, it's been a lot of fun for me recently. I had, I had somebody in here yesterday. I'll just shout him out. Follow him on Instagram, at Fat Ben's Bakery. He's a really cool independent baker here in town. Does like a lot of custom work. Um, and Ben was telling me a story about how one of his friends in New York listened to the show. And that's how he and I have now become friendly and how I got to eat some of the best cookies I've ever had in my life. So thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben's friend in New York City. And thanks to all of you who have been supporting the show and sharing this with everybody. Look, it's been slow, steady growth, but I'm going to take growth over anything else. So I appreciate you all. It means a lot. Okay, I'm headed to Florida. Good luck with the snowstorm this week. I'm sorry I had to leave you. Uh, and on that, I'll see you out in the aisles. But this time I'm spelling aisles I-S-L-E because, you know, there's like tropics and Florida. Okay, you get the joke. See you next week. The Jungle Gyms podcast is recorded in the WJJI studio inside Jungle Gyms International Market in Fairfield, Ohio. The Jungle Gyms podcast is produced and hosted by Mark Borison.